I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I am here with my good friend and colleague, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. Well, it's a little bit later in the morning. Good, whatever time you're listening to this. Good, almost noon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not, I mean, they could listen at any time. This is true. Yeah, so we don't even know. They are in the future when they're listening to this. Welcome to August. I yeah. don't know when you're listening. <laughs> Maybe they're listening in September. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a subject that nobody wants to talk about, taxes. Yep. So here's a question for you, Mr. Sean Latimer. Um, I wrote in kind of the email intro that people clicked to read the article that said, hey, if I wrote two different articles, one article on how to improve investment returns and one article on how to reduce your tax bill, what article would be read more? I'm guessing people want to talk more about returns because that's what I feel like everyone wants to talk about. Unless someone pays a lot in taxes every year, that might be a bigger you know, pain point. Then you've tickled their interest. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. Um, do you think clients in general, investors in general, pay close enough attention to taxes? I'm not trying to bait you into an answer. I'm actually really curious. Not necessarily. I, I think that at the end of the day, they look at what the net return of the portfolio is first. And then um, how you get there, uh, there's other parts of the conversation, like the income of the portfolio, and was it reinvested? Or was it sent to the client? And they spent that money. I think that that's talked about a lot more um, than you know, the, what the tax bill was. It could also be because most people assume that there's not much they can do on the tax side. Yes. Or they assume the opposite, that there is some secret little tax oh, yeah, savings the, party the that they're not bullet, part of. That, like, why didn't you tell me the secret so I can pay less? Yeah. So that was kind of like the premise for writing this article. And uh, I was scared on using some of these adages, but in, in my mind, there's a connection point of like, Penny wise and pound foolish, stepping over dollars to pick up dimes, uh, can't see the forest for the trees. It's like we have these adages to talk about this natural human behavior that we often miss the big picture. And I would argue that most people are more captivated, and I mentioned this article, on talking about should I own that soda company or should I own that soda company? That type of analysis. Uh, seems to be more of tickling people's ears. And this has to be true because there isn't a popular broadcasting network that talks taxes all day, right? But there's a ton that talk about stocks all day. Yeah, and I was just kind of thinking through your question. Uh, it's it's kind of a different paradigm too because taxes that they pay, it's to the IRS. Uh, and then the relationship with the advisor, they may look at it like, well, it's your job to pick the right companies, the right soda company. One's going to do better than the other. It's your job to pick the right one. So they may not even look at it where we could give advice on the tax side. That would be beneficial, even though we we do sometimes. Yeah, we can give guidance, right? And we can often mention ideas to say, hey, let's get on the call with your CPA and let's see if they like this idea. Let's see if they give their stamp of approval. So what I wanted to do in today's conversation and what I tried to do in today's article, which it was titled low-hanging fruit. Is there low-hanging fruit on opportunities to reduce your tax bill? Um, I say your tax bill because it's personal to you. So I can give you know four, five, six ideas, and maybe only one of those will be applicable. 
but I think you should wrestle with these things. And and I want to introduce it a little bit here. Uh, Mr. Sean Latimer and I started our careers working at gyms. We were at fitness centers uh, and we sold gym memberships. That's where we became adults. I think we became adults. Did we? We're still working on that part. Still working on that part. Okay. So uh, we have a background. We have a friendship. We have a history there. And we had a regional director. I remember him vividly. Um, I I believe he was Italian. He was a little bit shorter than me, and I stand five foot seven. So he was a little guy, but he could fill the room with energy. And I remember asking him, like, hey, should I be focusing on this or that? And uh, if I had an Italian accent, I would do it, but I don't. Uh, Actually, it was a New York accent. Yeah. Yeah. Italian background, but he had that New York accent. And he was just like, Trevor, it's not this or that. It's this and that. And it always stuck with me when we have this tendency to create something that's binary. Should I do this or that? And then you realize sometimes it can be this and that. And and we have a humor response that, that we give sometimes when somebody says like, uh, you know, if I said, to, if I said, hey, Sean, uh, what's important? Uh Taxes or, you know, security selection? Your answer would be yes. Both. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The answer is yes, because both of them are extremely important. So we are not leaving asset allocation or security selection by the wayside. We've dedicated a lot of conversations, articles to those. Now we're saying, what are some tax ideas? Um, And maybe some of these you haven't heard of because we've seen clients and we use that language like low-hanging fruit. Maybe we're meeting with a new client and we say, oh, like, you're going to love me. I have some really easy advice for you. Yeah, and it's funny, and I think you talk about it in your article where there's a specific example. But it, it is uh, funny when you come across, like, a new client relationship and you they say, hey, so what are these tax ideas that you're talking, of, uh, talking about? And then you look at their portfolio and you kind of identify, you know, a couple of things where you almost think that it's set up that way on purpose because it's such low-hanging fruit. Whether it's, you know, this, hey, hey, I have a huge gain this year and like, gosh, I wish there was something I could do to reduce how much I'm going to have to pay in taxes this year. And you look and there's like a handful of positions. I think you mentioned it where there's a huge loss and they've held it long term. And you're thinking like, well, what, why don't you just sell these and offset the gain? And they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Or, you know, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, later in the article. But some of the more complex tax strategies, I, I like how you said that there's a lot of different ideas and maybe only one of those will apply but when you find one that does move the needle or help, uh, that that's something that I, I feel like a client really appreciates because they're they're like, wow, I would have never thought of this or done this on my own. Yeah, I agree with you. We we set up the article where it's here's easy examples, and I've spent the last two or maybe three weeks on articles talking really psychological or qualitative, uh, and this is just like brass tacks. Uh, this is this is what you can do. This is a very uh, applicable article where you can grab grab some ideas from. But what Sean talked about is this idea of tax loss harvesting. And that's the first one we'll introduce. I had this story where I felt exactly what you're describing. This person's like had a surprise gain. Um, and again, I don't remember the particulars, but for some reason, a capital gain was coming down the pipe and it was kind of a surprise to them. And it was December and they're like, ah, like, what can I do in these final hours? And they were coming up with some crazy ideas, right? Like, buy something to purposely lose money. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I remember you have another portfolio at another custodian. Go ahead and export all the positions and send them to me. Let me review what that all looks like. Um, and I reviewed it, and I'm like, you have over $100,000 of losses. Like, we can just sell these positions 
uh, and you could buy them back 31 days later and you could book that loss. Isn't it funny that you almost look at it and you're like, is there like a sentimental value at these positions? And you're like, no, like the reason you're a spouse to them or you don't want to sell them. Like, no, I don't care. And you're like, okay, well, then why don't you sell them? Like, wait, what what am I missing? (laughs) Yeah. Like your spouse, you know, it could be me too. I'm not making fun of anybody, but your spouse is running around the house. Like I I, got to leave, but I just can't find my glasses. And you're like, they're on your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was a perfect example, but because, and I can even think about this individual, people dedicate so much time and energy to researching and and, and looking into security selection, investment ideas, asset allocation, they forget like there are this real low-hanging fruit on tax planning that will put dollars directly in your pocket, which dollars in your pocket look and feel a lot like investment returns. And since we're going to make this one more applicable, we, we can also say whichever is describing is the wash sale rule, where if you sell something, you need to wait 30 days before you can rebuy it. Um, one, are we allowed to talk about the workaround or... One popular idea is that people will purchase a similar security in the same sector the next day. So you're still getting exposure to that sector without buying the exact security back. Yeah. What Sean's describing is maybe you owned one of those soda companies and it was at a loss. So you decided to sell it. You didn't want to sit in cash. So you bought the competitor soda company for 30 days and then you swapped them back, like creating some sort of surrogate to sit in the place uh, during that time period. Tax loss harvesting often can be low-hanging fruit. Next topic I talked about, and it's been kind of a popular one, we do serve a lot of clients in the higher tax brackets. A lot of our clients do live in California and New York, where, you know, sometimes with Uncle Gavin and Uncle Sam, uh, they're splitting, you know, 40 cents on the dollar uh, of their hard-earned money. So municipal bonds can be an attractive strategy for some investors. Um, What I talked about in that section is that a lot of our investors – have some allocation to their quote-unquote safe money. And this is money that they might not be using in the next six months, but um, they really want to be able to access if if a need arises. And and for sometimes, it just kind of gives them like that sense of security, like that they have that kind of in their back pocket. So I I think the initial reaction when somebody looks at a municipal bond and says, oh, that pays 4%, but I can get 5% in my money market. Why would I do that? Right. And well, the, the key is the tax equivalent yield. And if you're not paying taxes on that money and you're used to paying 40% taxes, it's almost doubling the return. Yeah, exactly right. We, we ran it as, hey, if, if you were getting 4% munis and you're in the highest tax bracket on the state and federal, right? If you wanted to go out and get a CD, you're going to have to get 8% to get that same after-tax return. If you went out and got a treasury, you're going to have to get 6%. So uh, I'll tell you right now that you can't get those figures in this marketplace. Therefore, for some people, municipal bonds should be considerable or yeah. should be considered. I'm, la- I'm smiling because, you know, uh, after we do this, we're going to get lots of emails saying, should I buy more muni bonds? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where asset allocation is. The, it's not this or that. Asset allocation is the this and that. You have to think, how does this fit into to my portfolio? So even we'll, we'll plant that seed right now. We're, we're talking about this idea that uh, there's some money that probably belongs in money market, right? Easy access that you just kind of need it today and tomorrow and all that. And then there's some money that you want for long-term wealth accumulation, 
But there is a zip code between those two territories of money that you may use in the next two, three, four years, uh, but you want to generate some return, and reducing your tax bill sounds like a, an attractive proposition. And even the comparison of the different investments, you notice that you're talking about muni bonds, CDs, money market. Um, we're not comparing it to some of those longer time horizon investments. Yeah, and even in the article I, I drew attention, I'm glad you said that, I wasn't going to say that, is that uh, are municipal bonds, CDs, and treasuries the exact same securities? No, right? There is some considerations on uh, liquidity and, and volatility, and, and they'll, they'll behave differently. But uh, yeah, they're in the same – they're cousins. They're, they're in the same kind of neighborhood when it comes to studying the risk spectrum. Was that like a New York reference? They're cousins, same neighborhood. They're cousins. <laughs> um, the, the next thing, and I think you would say this too, is low-hanging fruit. And I'm sure you have a ton of stories about this, is like maybe you're bringing on a new client and maybe you're taking a look at their tax return and you're like, huh, I noticed you realized a lot of capital gains last year. And I also noticed that you gave some significant charitable gifts in cash. Have you ever thought about doing that a different way? Yeah, one low-hanging fruit is uh, using a donor advice fund where you get to contribute appreciated securities as long as you've held them for more than 12 months into the donor advice fund. You avoid paying the capital gains on the position and you get a a full deduction of the market value of what you donated. And I I can think of 10 different conversations where I've kind of explained this process. And most of the time, the reason why people don't do is they think it's more complicated than it is or they thought they didn't qualify but the the second that they realize that it does apply to them and it's pretty easy, it, it's kind of a it blows their mind. They're like, "Wait, I've been doing this wrong for a long period of time." And I say, "Hey, don't don't worry about that part. Going forward, we're gonna, it'll be more efficient." Yeah, and I, I've had that conversation quite a few times. And sometimes it got to a place where I'm like, "Hey, you can do whatever you want. I am just letting you know that this would be really really easy to execute." And it would absolutely, on paper, show you the math right now, be more tax efficient. So, you know, it depends on the situation. But you might describe to somebody like, doing it this way is $5,000 less in taxes. You can do it any way you want. I'm just telling you, doing it this way is $5,000 less. And uh, and there is nuance, right? That's why incorporating the CPA is super important because maybe your charitable gifts are below the standard deduction or uh, maybe you broke a threshold on the the amount of securities you can donate uh, based on what your income is. There There is nuance, and we, we will never be able to describe that on the podcast or, or the article, and that's why conversations with professionals are so important to make sure that you are identifying what's most suitable for your situation. Uh, and even without a donor advised fund, there are a lot of institutions that will take securities directly. So uh, ultimately, all Sean and I are saying is gifting highly appreciated uh, positions is often low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I would think that even, and I'm thinking a lot, but even if you weren't getting the deduction because you have a standard deduction that you use when you file, but you're giving away that money every year anyways, avoiding the capital gains just seems like a good idea. Yeah, I'm with you. I, yeah. I agree. And it's kind of easy to do that math of saying, hey, let's say we didn't do this. And at some determined date in the future, you sold this and looking at your tax situation, you pay, making up a number, right? 20%. Like, it's easy to find the savings here. And uh, that's kind of why I wrote this article to say, like, 
I know that you want the magic pill or the magic bullet or like you want to be part of the secret society of people that know tax rules that nobody else knows and save this money and, 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 and trick the government. All of that. Uh, sure. Go have fun. Do that. I, I'm just saying there's some simple things that you may not be doing right now that can put dollar cents in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited about this next category because it's kind of changed my opinion over time too. Um, Roth conversions. It, it, uh, if you asked me, you know, five years ago, I'd say, yeah, it's, you know, it's something you can do. But realistically, if you're doing a small portion over time, it doesn't move the needle too much. But then as time has gone on, I have realized it's a pretty powerful tool to pay income taxes more of the upfront and reduce the lifetime taxes that you end up paying. And uh, yeah, so I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, I mean, one way that I tried to frame it in the article, because even words like Roth conversions can be like, trigger words. I just want to back people up and say, hey, what does this really mean? And and to me, this has been the way that uh, resonates with me the most is you decided at some point to place money in an account and the IRS said, we will let you defer taxes. It's key that the word is defer taxes. The IRS is expecting when you put money in your 401k or your retirement account um, that some date in the future, your TSP, that you are going to take that money out and they are going to tax you on it. Fair enough. They also have a rule that says when you eat, reach the age of, you know, right now it's 73, depending on your birthday, it could be 75, uh, they are going to require you to start taking some money out of that account. So in my view, the IRS says, hey, we will let you defer, but at some point we're going to force the hand. So what I'm saying is that between when they force the hand and when you decided to defer, there might be a good time where you can put your hand up and say, hey, actually, I think I want to pay those taxes now. And I've been framing it like that with clients is that either you're going to elect when you want to pay the taxes and try to control the tax brackets or the IRS is going to elect for you via minimum distributions. And I think when you set those up side by side, you start to get a more full picture on how it could benefit you. I will say right on this podcast right now that in order to do something like this, you have to make an assumption about the future, right? If in the future taxes go away, Roth conversions are a really, really bad idea. Right, because if you've deferred taxes and you have some uh, Sean land uh, where you can then pay zero percent taxes, conversions are not going to benefit you. But if there's a world where you can elect certain dollar amounts to move from a traditional IRA into a Roth, have some semblance of control on what tax bracket you end up, and place yourself in a better place than when you're 75. You already have a, a budget and, and a distribution strategy, and now Uncle Sam's pushing you to take 4%, 5%, and, and more and more money out. Roth conversions can be really powerful. Yeah, and I think that the assumptions can go both ways because we're also assuming what, with current tax rates. And uh, I think if you were to ask people, are things going to end up like Sean Land where there's no taxes or are, th- are income taxes going to be more in the future? I think most people would assume uh, taxes are going to be higher in the future, which makes the conversion even more powerful to do earlier. Yeah, I concur. And, and a lot of times when we're doing these strategies, uh, not always, but a lot of times we're not doing lump sum, right? So we're doing conversions over a defined time period, five years, six years, seven years. 
which that also introduces like a dollar cost averaging component, right? Because you're not having to time the the best time to uh, move money. I've seen people a lot of time in down markets be very excited to do Roth conversions, mm-hmm. which I get it. I, I know why they're doing it, right? Because they're converting to lower dollar amount and getting what they feel like more bang for their buck. But uh, yeah, the strategies we typically introduce are are solving for that about averaging into something. The the next category, because I don't want this podcast to go too long, I'm going to kind of brush over a little bit. All I was saying there is that uh, whether it's through your employer or or other options that the IRS has allotted, there are tax deferral accounts, as we mentioned, 401k plans, TSPs, IRAs, there's tax-free growth strategies, Roth accounts, things like that. Um, It's interesting that we might talk to somebody that wants to lower their tax bill, and then we go look at their election, and we're like, you're only electing 4% into your 401k. And they're like, well, they only match 4%. I'm like, but you could put the maximum and lower your tax bill and and figure out a future strategy on, on, on converting that and whatnot. And they're like, Really? I'm like, yes, that is low-hanging fruit. So uh, we'll brush on that. We'll, we'll introduce this idea of life insurance, but uh, it does deserve a, a longer conversation. And all I'm saying here is that if somebody has picked all the low-hanging fruit, there is a piece of fruit on just one branch higher uh, using life insurance that introduces some level of complexity that for the right investor, people in high tax brackets, owning securities that uh, pay taxable income and things like that, where something like a private placement life insurance can be extremely appropriate. Uh, there's also strategies where somebody's looking down the barrel of a really heavy estate tax where uh, irrevocable life insurance trust uh, can make a lot of sense for covering that estate tax. So it's hard to have an article uh, that introduces this idea or even talk about it on the podcast because there's so much nuance. But I would say if you're somebody that's checked all those other boxes, if I was in your shoes and this is something that I would begin to explore, even if your advisor comes to you right off the bat in a short conversation and says, yes, it can be beneficial, but probably wouldn't be appropriate in your situation. Yeah, I was kind of uh, surprised that you brought that category in because – that if you watch, there could be 10 different YouTube videos that will try and convince you to buy whole life insurance policies for this exact reason. They will say that, which I don't agree with, but uh, the, and you'll be able to take loans against the policy. I think that the, the theory itself makes sense, but it's the execution that isn't right. And depending on the type of investments you're allowed to use and the type of vehicle and the cost and the expenses, all those things matter. And so to your point, uh, there's a lot of nuance in it that um, if you're listening to this, I, it does not mean you Google life insurance policies and, and start buying products because uh, they aren't created the same. I agree with you. And I think when I think about this topic, and you know me very well, somebody who can be very insurance resistant, right? Uh, you have to almost in my mind, check all these boxes to say that that's a right fit. But when it is a right fit, it can be powerful. So if you if you have, and I'm just thinking of like one particular product or situation, when you have somebody that uh, has accumulated a lot of wealth, and they've already decided that they're going to parse, you know, X amount to the next generation, it's not going to be used in their lifetime. And they do have investments that are not the most tax-friendly, right? Like maybe it's an extremely attractive investment 
uh, that produces income that's taxable income, and they're in one of those ugly states, uh, well, beautiful states yeah. with ugly tax rates uh, <laughs> that just mean that they get chopped almost in half on that. That can be a situation where you're like, huh, if I did pocket that into a, a policy and I could accept that level of illiquidity and I really wanted that thing to compound and grow and be left in the next generation, yes, it, it can make sense. And, uh, you know, there's a couple articles I've re- read by, uh, you know, people that I really respect in the financial planning industry. And uh, I remember he made like this almost like, um, Maslow's pyramid and was just like like this is at the top of the pyramid like the last consideration you make but you can't have this conversation unless you've done all these other things that we've talked about to kind of uh, maximize your opportunity to reduce your tax bill. Well said I, I think that um, you know like Trevor said there's a lot of boxes to check to make sure it's appropriate and to work with your advisor and make sure that uh, some of the low hanging fruits already been picked. Yeah and a lot of the time when you do that, it can introduce other conversations and pivots and, and other things that are, are, are planning centric. You know, I've, again, a lot of examples to provide, but we also want to express that the, ex- the list that we provided, it's not exhaustive, right? We can't make an exhaustive list because tax codes are ever changing and those opportunities uh, present themselves based on those changes. And that's why we would argue that going shoulder to shoulder with somebody that you trust and has competency and is staying up to date on these things can be helpful uh, to your financial well-being. With that said, we're going to ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. You can leave comments. A really easy way to get a hold of uh, myself, Trevor, or Sean would be to email Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. We appreciate you listening to this podcast, and we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.